Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. It's episode sweet 16 of the Mike and Mo Show and you know what? We've been waiting to get to this day since October 28th, which was tip-off of the 2015-16 NBA season. And lo and behold, we are here. In just a few hours, we have the Cleveland Cavaliers versus the reigning champion Golden State Warriors in a rematch of last year's exciting, I will say exciting, NBA Finals. But before we get there, Mo, let's break down exactly what we got to, uh, to talk about and then we'll head right back to tonight's big matchup. Oh, as you said, we're gonna we're gonna talk about tonight's big matchup, which which is a rehash of last year's NBA Finals. We're gonna talk a little bit about Kevin Durant's situation, which is not as complicated as people make it out to be. It's actually very simple. We're gonna talk about the uneventful hires of the Houston Rockets and Memphis Grizzlies at their head coaching positions. We're also gonna talk Ryan Fitzpatrick and his ridiculousness with the New York Jets organization. And we're gonna end it off with a thinking topic about. African-Americans, people, and numbers. So stay tuned for that one. But we'll take it back to tonight's matchup. Game one tips off between the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers, which we all saw coming. I mean, Mm -hmm. what else could you, I mean, unless you're Mike and you thought OKC was going to close it out on Golden State. What else would you think of? What other matchup could have happened, could could have started today? Well, I believe I did call this way back when we started. But again, I can't take sole credit because I believe everybody called this. But uh, again, I'm going to to go back one series real quick and we're not going to stay too long on it because it's over and done with. I don't I am in the minority. I feel that Oklahoma City didn't actually choke. I and, I and I said this on Twitter. I just think they they really played over their heads. They played extremely well and they went up three to one. And I think Golden State was just waiting to get that, you know, to get that light bulb to go off and to realize, OK, we're in we're in dire straits and we need to do something. So I don't think so much that Oklahoma choked because I, I hate that term in sports. I just think I just think Golden State finally realized it's do or die time. And, and the biggest thing, and I said to you while we were watching the game, I said Oklahoma blew this because they went back to playing the way Oklahoma City has since they put Westbrook and Durant on the court. It was all about those guys. Everybody else seemed to fade away. Uh, it was one-on-one isolation plays. There was no movement. There was no there was no give and go. Westbrook wasn't penetrating, and when he did, he just went for the shot. He didn't kick out, and and they couldn't make shots. And Durant completely disappeared in that fourth quarter, unfortunately. So that's why this did not this did not finish up the way that I thought it would. Because heck, everybody that seemed to think uh, Oklahoma had it was the same people that said Oklahoma had no chance before the series started. So all you people out there in Twitterverse that claimed uh, Oklahoma choked, you were the same folks saying that after it went up 3-1, there was no way Golden State was coming back. So let's be real. Yeah, um, I had a comment on my Facebook account and my Twitter that some people kind of took out of context when I said, um, when do we start questioning Westbrook and Durant? Because if this was LeBron, we would say he choked. Now, I'm not saying Oklahoma City choked. I'm in the same boat as you. And I had a friend on my Facebook, Elvin Morales, who, who commented and said, I don't like the word choke. He's kind of like in the same boat as you. And I agree with you guys. I don't like to use the word choke either. There are people who, who fold under pressure, but you got to understand this is a competition between two teams. It's not just one team out there. You know, it's a competition. Sometimes one team loses to a better team. And I agree with that. 
But my point was, if people are going to get on LeBron for every series he loses, for every NBA Finals or Eastern Conference Finals that he loses, how can you over-criticize LeBron and then give Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook a pass and they've been together for seven seasons? It's either... They both choked, LeBron chokes and Westbrook and Durant chokes, or they both just lose to better teams. I like to say that these players lose to better teams overall because it is a team game. It's not an individual event. This isn't boxing. This isn't wrestling, whatever. It's a team competition. So, yes, these players are probably the best players on their teams, but still, they you need that help. LeBron didn't go to Miami to play by himself. He went there because he had a better nucleus there. Sure. So back to my comment on social media is, you can't just dismiss one, give Durant a pass, and then over-criticize LeBron. It has to be be consistent. If you're going to criticize one, criticize the other. If you're going to give one a pass, give the other guy a pass because it's the same game. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's funny, you know, we're going to today's show we're going to refer to a lot of the uh the media types, the 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 named uh sports personalities out there. And we may not name them per se, but there was a, a a very popular radio show in the afternoon I listened to from time to time and and the other day, I think it was yesterday actually, I heard one of the hosts say that he would prefer not to make it to a conference finals or a finals and choke he would rather not make it to those rounds at all than to do what Durant did. And I was I was so like, what? I So you would rather not get the opportunity to play for the biggest prize in your sport. You would rather be home watching it than be up three to one and lose that series. That's like saying Jim Kelly would have never wanted to go to four Super Bowls even though he lost mm-hmm. them in a row. Or that John Elway would have never wanted to go to Six, let alone, yes, he lost four. I mean, that's that's kind of asinine to me. And isn't that the whole point of playing sports is to be the best in your in your occupation? But according to a guy that talks sports for a living, he'd rather just be a fan, get paid, and never compete at the highest level. That was it was kind of weird to me. So hey, Mike, does this guy happen to be of Cuban descent? No, no, no. Actually, <laughs> no, he's not. And we'll talk a little bit about Dan Levitard of Miami later. This was uh, this was more of a uh, Anglo-Saxon uh, man, but um, I personally don't understand that thinking. But so be it. All right, so let's move on to tonight. Let's move on to uh, the meat and potatoes. And according to Five Thirty Eight, which is Nate Silver's analytic database website and we'll talk more about analytics a little later golden state is a 69 percent favorite to win the series i mean and those odds are in line with what's going on in vegas where the line makers have installed the cavaliers at about two to one underdogs so mo before we get into it all give me your prediction give me how many games but then give me who you're actually rooting for okay uh Okay, this is the thing. I, I know I probably spoke, we spoke about this as soon as the Golden State Warriors closed out the OKC Thunder. We talked about this, and I said Cavaliers in seven. And I've wrestled with that, with that decision over the past, I don't know, 48 hours. I've been flip flopping back and forth. But I'm going to take a stance right here, right now. I'm going to say Warriors in seven. And I know, Mike, you're going to groan and roll your eyes because you're going to say, oh, here's Mo taking the logical safe route. Yep. But I don't think it's that safe of a route because I think these two teams are evenly matched. And I, before I go into my reasoning, I'll say Warriors in seven, and it's going to be really I – would, I wouldn't be surprised if game seven went into overtime. But I'll say this. These teams are a lot more evenly matched than people think. If I were, you know, if I were working in Vegas, I wouldn't say – you know, 69% Warriors, I would say it's more 55-45. Only because now, okay, 
obviously everyone knows Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love are not healthy. But that's not the only thing. This team is actually shooting better beyond the arc than the Warriors. They have the Cleveland Cavaliers have four shooters who can shoot a three at any moment at any time. J.R. Smith is averaging 3.5 three-point field goals a game. Think about that. I mean, Kevin Love almost three, almost three three-pointers a game. Then you have Kyrie Irving, and even Shannon Fry has reemerged from the ashes. I mean, Knicks fans are probably like, uh, Phoenix Suns fans are probably <laughs> thinking, Orlando Magic fans are probably like, where was this? You know, but he's reemerged and he's hitting two three pointers a game. And again, this is not even counting LeBron James. So they have enough shooters to to win this series. I, I feel it's an even matchup. If you remember last year, Matthew Delvadova gave Stephen Curry a problem, like within the first, I think, two to three games. Yeah, the first three. So if they let him, yeah, if they let if they let him loose again and Curry struggles, you know, advantage Cavaliers. But I'll say this: I'm rooting for Cleveland. I'm rooting for. I'm more rooting for LeBron James because okay. I'm sick and tired of people over criticizing him. And I said this last segment: I'm just tired of the criticism, people getting on LeBron for. For something that he did years ago. Yes, he had the decision. He went to Miami fine. But he had, you know, he, he's on this platform. He had he had the opportunity to make his decision. If we were all in that situation, we would probably do something similar or the same. So I think it's just jealousy. And people find any reason to criticize LeBron. And I think beating the Warriors in 7, in 6, in 5, just winning the series, period, would free him from some just unnecessary excess criticism because this is his team. Remember, Kyrie Irving was there, yes, but he came back there and then Love joined in. So this isn't this is LeBron's team. When he went to Miami, it was more people saying, "Well, it's Dwayne Wade's team. Dwayne Wade has won before he got there. Dwayne Wade is still the leader on that squad." Now this is LeBron's creation. This is his group. He's going to lead this unit, and if they win, you got to give him respect, whether you love him or you hate him. Okay, so to recap. You have Cleveland going on 53 years of misery, correct? Yes. Okay, and you have <laughs> – I'm just, I'm just trying to gather my bearings. And now you have LeBron going 2-5 and five in, his, in his life in the finals, correct? Yes. All right, but you're rooting for LeBron. But I'm rooting for I'm rooting for him. I really I really want Cleveland to win because again I'm just sick and tired of the stupid criticism that he gets. Okay, fair enough. Uh, to to uh, from from my side of it, I have I have a six game series going on, mostly because somebody way smarter than me that knows a lot more about basketball than me said it should be so. Uh, but I also agree with the, with that point. I think this is going to be a six game series. I think. Cleveland's gonna win it. Uh, I just again, I'll give you my reasons in a little bit, but I see, I just see Cleveland finally doing it. And um, not that I think there's anything one one huge point sticking out from from the other, but I but I see LeBron finally finally I guess vanquishing all of those those Cleveland demons and the Johnny Manziel uh, aura that has kind of come over Cleveland in, in recent year. And uh, I just really think, I think it's his time. I think we need to be amazed that this guy has been in the finals six years in a row with three different teams uh, supporting supporting casts. I mean, that's that's amazing in itself. So, you know, if you hate LeBron, you're like LeBron, you really got to gotta bow down to a certain extent and say the man is a once-in-a-generational once talent. Now, Mo, give me... Give me your X factor for both teams. What is the what is the one player on each squad that is going to to lift uh, their squad to a game seven? As you as you has just told us that this series will last. 
But for Cleveland, it has to be J.R. Smith. Oh, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, everyone's thinking everyone's thinking big three, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, and yes, those guys have to play well. But I think J.R. Smith, again, I said he hits the most trees on this on this roster. And if he's on, if he's if he catches a hot hand in at least two games, right? Yep. Cleveland could Cleveland could definitely win the series because then you you have guys swarming around LeBron. He's going to probably kick it out, and he's going to need someone to knock down those long threes at a consistent clip. Sometimes Kevin Love could be off and on. Sometimes Kyrie Irving could be a little aloof. Maybe he's not. He's not a. He's not a definite three point shooter. He, he can have a hot hand. But if J.R. Smith is hitting three and a half threes per game coming into this series, and he keeps that going, Cleveland Cavaliers have a good chance of winning. For the Golden State Warriors, I feel like. I'm a little disappointed in Harrison Barnes the same way as I was disappointed in Klay Thompson last year. Harrison Barnes was completely dormant the last series against the OKC Thunder, and I believe him being absent hurt the team, and that's why part of the reason why they pushed it to seven games because you had Draymond Green who was struggling. You had Stephen Curry who they said had an 80% knee or 70% knee, whatever. And then, you know, Klay Thompson had to have a historic game six for that team to keep keep things going. So Harrison Barnes, wherever you are, you got to wake up, especially if you're looking for a max contract coming up soon. Yeah. You better step it up in this series because people are looking to pay you big bucks. And they're not going to pay you big bucks with eight points in a game and a steal and maybe five rebounds. You're going to have to step it up, knock down some shots, maybe a couple of three-pointers because your Warriors are really going to need him, especially with the shooters on the Cavaliers roster. Absolutely. And let's remember last year, J.R. Smith, it was him and LeBron. That was, that was you know, Della Vadova was a nice piece for a couple games, but then he disappeared. J.R. Smith, last season, last NBA Finals, when he was alone with just him and LeBron, only shot 37% from the field, which again was, was second on the team to LeBron. And of course, we all know by now, LeBron averaged 34 points a game, 13 boards, and 8 assists. Uh, how he didn't win MVP, I know they lost, but those numbers were absolutely astonishing. But more to this year, J.R. Smith has already hit 49 threes in the NBA uh, playoffs, which puts him second behind Klay Thompson, so we'll talk in a minute. But the big thing, the big thing about J.R. Smith and why I feel he's so important to this team right now, and there's a there's a homicidal child in the background, is the fact that he is shooting 46% from the field with Love and Kyrie Irving on the floor. I mean, that, again, it just opens him up, and we know that J.R. can be reckless from time to time. He can just get the ball wherever he might be. He could be online to go to the bathroom, and he could just be chucking them up. So, again, this is super important that he, when he's got these other supporting uh, mates on the floor that he can put them up and he can hit the shots. Now, as far as Golden State, it's got to be on Klay Thompson. Uh, yeah, I know Curry is the easy one to pick, and so is LeBron. LeBron but Klay Thompson has hit 77 three-pointers, and obviously we saw what he did in Game 7. And if they really want to take a Cleveland team that I feel is just kind of clicking on all cylinders, they need their number two, who, FYI, would be a number one on any other team, to step up and be as good as he possibly can. Now, to your Harrison Barnes point, I agree. Where has he gone? I don't know if Harrison Barnes is or really is a max player. I think this is the Harrison Barnes that we get because he's not very confident on defense, and we saw that when he was pulled in Game 7 for Andre Iguodala, the reigning MVP of the Finals last year, because Iguodala needed to be put on... 
Kevin Durant to stop him. And I guess you can consider 27 points stopping Kevin Durant. Uh, he did wake up big time with about five minutes left in the in the fourth quarter. But that's why uh, Harrison Barnes will disappear. And I would not be surprised if Harrison Barnes goes to the bench for this entire series. You'll see him off the bench, but I definitely think Steve Kerr will put Iguodala back on LeBron James and, and hope for the best. Yeah, th- I mean... Like I said, Harrison Barnes is is a very mercurial case for me because a lot of people are touting him as this max player, and he's he's the guy that's going to be the piece on maybe the Lakers or maybe he'll go to Toronto or something. And I just I'm just not I see games like I've watched a lot of Warrior games because obviously they're on TV a lot this year, and there are games where I'm impressed with Harrison Barnes because he does play. He's a good on ball defender, and he can knock down shots when he's wide open. But those shots just haven't been falling out. Like I watched every OKC game mostly, and he just missing open shots. Maybe he's still a defender on the other end, but he he's just not that that player that people speak up about him when they say, "Okay, this guy's gonna get a max deal. This guy's gonna help the Lakers back to pro- back to prominence." At best, I don't even I don't even know if he's he could be the second best player on a team. I think he's more of a third wheel. He can kind of give you a little bit on both ends of the court. But I don't see Harrison Barnes taking over a game or doing what Klay Thompson did in the game six and, and going for a historic, you know, three point shootout. I don't see that being him. And and I feel like the Warriors are gonna really need him because if not Andre Iguodala, if not if not Draymond Green going for triple doubles, he's gonna be he's gonna have to be the guy to, to step up and, and just take his game to another level. Very true. It's very true. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if he can kind of get out of that stigma and break it up. But I, I'm just, I'm looking at these rosters, and it's just amazing that Clay Thompson, uh, Clay Thompson, and, and and Draymond Green are 26 years old. And then you look and you say, well, Curry, Curry is the elder statesman at 28. And you know, then on the other team, you've got Kyrie Love, who's 24 years old. I mean, these teams, they're they're really primed. They're primed for this year, next year, maybe the year after. I just. It's, it's hard to see where other teams, where other NBA franchises are going to kind of build from this summer because these two teams don't look like they're going away anytime soon. But I guess, you know, this is what franchise and dynasties are made of. You know, great young players that that just come around once in a lifetime. And they, look, these teams play well together. And, you know, who knows? LeBron could be on his ninth finals in a row, uh, you know, come three years from now. But it's a lot of fun to, be, to really be an NBA fan, you got to admit. That's the thing I was going to ask you. So if let's say the, the Cavaliers, let's say I'm right, which I probably will be. Let's say the Cavaliers don't win this NBA Finals, and people are saying that LeBron has to win this for his legacy more than Steph Curry had to win it for his legacy. Now, if the Cavaliers do lose, do you think they keep the same team and come back again and challenge for the NBA Finals, or do they split it up and LeBron tries, tries to put the Super Friends together and make one last run in Cleveland? Yeah, I think LeBron will break up the band and try to put those yeah, that mega team together just because he's been here now, what, they would two years in a row with, you know, and I understand those guys, those main important pieces missed last year, but how much more can you can you get out of a Kevin Love without regression? Kyrie is obviously an amazing player, but he wasn't hurt this year. What happens next year if he does go down with another knee or an ankle? So if he gets his way and, and, and Dwayne Wade can come over and maybe Carmelo can... Get that trade to Cleveland as a Knicks fan. I hope so. And who knows what happens with Chris Paul in that Clippers <laughs> situation. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see that being a probability. Uh, whereas, yeah, on the other side of the ball, 
guys 28 years old curry and that team is young and and it looks like the only it looks like the main competition to the west for a while could be okc depending on what happens with durant obviously the east could be you know could be up for grabs with any turn of the table or a couple smart trades or signings and again lebron not he's not going to be a patient man at this point in his career he'll be 32 next year and nor should he but again uh will he go out and will he force his way well he got rid of david blatt so i guess anything is possible yeah, I don't, I don't think he leaves Cleveland. I think he just recruits people to come to Cleveland. Sure. But I, even if LeBron loses the series, which could obviously happen, I won't look at LeBron any different. I know no. people will say, oh, there he goes. He's choking again. He can't get it done without Wade. He needs a, he needs a Robin. And I, I'll say this. I, I, wouldn't, I would say having Bosh and Wade is a lot better than having Kyrie and Kevin Love because Wade is going to Hall of Fame. Wade is probably one of the most underrated top top players in the NBA. Kyrie's not there yet. You have Kevin Love and Chris Bosh, and eh, it's kind of a wash. I mean, I would even probably take Bosh as prime over Kevin Love. So you got to understand that he's LeBron is coming into this series with a weaker cast than he had in Miami. I know people are comparing the two casts, but his cast in Miami, Wade and, and Bosh, his wingmen there were, were better than what he had in Cleveland. And plus, you got to remember, Ray Allen was the guy who saved... Miami back then. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying that J.R. Smith is going to have to play the Ray Allen role. He's going to have to be that guy that hits those three-pointers to keep the team in the game or put the team over the top. And it's possible that we'll see it. Again, I'm rooting for the Cavaliers, but I think, again, I said this to Mikey, he's going to roll his eyes, but I'm going to say it again. Never underestimate the heart of a champion. 73-9 is not something you can laugh about. No, absolutely. And honestly, if Cleveland does win, which I I think they do in six, like I said, I can still see some shakeup because, again, yes, it would be an NBA championship, a major accomplishment the first time in 52 years that Cleveland, a Cleveland sports franchise, wins a title. But you always have to get better. You always need to make incremental changes. So I, I would not be surprised if the Super Friends still happen or Kevin Love does get traded for something else so and again that's that's the nature of sports you have to get better otherwise eventually you'll go by the wayside that's just the way it is what i'm waiting for is i'm waiting for another kevin love press conference did you see that press <laughs> conference when they won yeah, oh my gosh where he went awkward funny thing ever what okay kev what what <laughs> what you talking to me are you, i'm talking talk, are you talking to me you must be talking to me i'm the only one here you talking to me like, yes, Kevin Love. Like, he must have been thinking about little Kev in his head because he was totally out of it. Looked like he just got reprimanded by his teacher. It was really bad. Yeah, I, I think I think either that was a complete plug for another commercial because he did mention the whole chocolate milk <laughs> thing. It's either that or he just doesn't do well with public speaking. You know, in that case, I can kind of identify with him because, I mean, I wasn't that bad with public speaking, but... I wasn't the outgoing type either when I was in school. But, again, he's an older guy. He, You would think he should be used to it because he's in the spotlight, but you, you don't know these players, so yeah. I'll give him a pat on that. All right, well, from one uh, elder statesman to another... We're moving on. That'll be it for uh, for the topic of all topics, the NBA Finals. There's going to be plenty more talk about this over the next couple weeks. But for the open mic segment, we're going to focus on the Kevin Durant situation. Some uh, interesting hires in the world of the NBA... And the mercurial Ryan Fitzpatrick. We'll be right back. Open mic.
Will he stay or will he go now? Will he stay or will he go now? Well, that is going to be the mantra of Mr. Kevin Durant this entire summer, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and I'm sure Kevin will, will have some fun with it. But Mo, what are your sources telling you? Is, is he going to stay or is he going to go? Well, sources are saying so my source being Mark Stein <laughs> of ESPN. He basically he's saying you know what what's probably going to happen is Durant's probably going to sign a two year deal with the OKC Thunder and then opt out after one which would allow him to maximize his financial base with the team. Because if you think about it, if he signs with another team this year, he can sign a max of four years for $110 million. If he signs a long-term with OKC Thunder this year, it's five years for $150 million. If he waits till next year, 2017, opts out after one, then he can get five years for $208 million. So that's a difference of, I guess, what, $50 million if he signs with OKC long-term this year and next year, and then about a, almost $100 million if he signs with another team this year versus next year. So he's talking about a $100 million gap between maybe going to Boston or, or Atlanta or something or just waiting to sign with OKC next year when the, when, the pie, when the pizza pie gets bigger because obviously, you know, the salary cap goes up. So obviously, he'll be able to make more money. And obviously, he knows that. So does his agent. So, yes, he's talking to teams right now to see if they're interested. But, of course, when it comes down to it, when it comes down to the dollars and what makes sense as far as talent-wise as well, he's going to be in OKC at least for the next year. Yeah, it does not make sense to leave. Not financially, not not anything mainly you know and the main reason is because his team just got to the western conference finals and and on paper like i said next season you've got to put golden state uh going against okc for the right to play in the championship you know anything can change but look what they did this year and again signing this one-year deal with an opt-out is perfect because russell westbrook is a free agent next year so if russ gets his you know gets his all panties in a bunch and decides that he wants to bounce well then i guess if you're kd you should take the money and run too because you're not going to stay there without russell westbrook if it proves that it basically can get you back to this point again next year or at least you know most definitely get you over the hump uh, again there's plenty of other places that would love to have him but you've got to give this one uh, one more legit shot to see if it can work and if and if russell signs a long-term deal then man you should sign another long-term deal too because you, you showed that when it can work it can work beautifully and you're you're on the cusp of greatness as long as you don't revert to to the ball that you played you know uh in game six and seven where it was all of one you know one-on-one iso plays uh that's not going to do it for you but you know again okc does need to stretch four uh they could also use a nice upgrade possibly uh, for the Dion waiters position because let's face it Dion's not probably going to do what he did uh during the playoffs but again time will tell at least for durant there's no reason why he should leave just yet we got Dion Waiters hit all over the place. But Dion Waiters, I'm not on the hate train anymore. I think he could be pretty good with the opportunity. I, I like what I saw from him, so I, I'm sure Kevin Durant likes what he sees from his team and his bench. I mean, you got Enos Canner coming off the bench, and like you said, Russell Westbrook's still there. One thing Durant needs to pull Westbrook aside about, he needs to teach this guy some humility. Uh, I'm hearing that Westbrook didn't even say to congratulate the Warriors after they lost. He just kind of stormed off the court. And this is the same guy that laughed at Stephen Curry when he talked about his defense. 
if you're gonna laugh at a guy, you you at least better shake his hand before you walk off the court, especially after what he did in Game Seven. No, but then this this is the new Kobe. This is Kobe, man. This is a killer. This is a guy that doesn't doesn't play nice, doesn't shake hands after the game, isn't in a good mood when he loses. This is this is Cam Newton to a certain extent, you know, without without some of the antics. But this is just the type of guy that doesn't want to lose. You're not gonna really teach him anything. It's just you get what you get. I mean, you know, it's like. Should he honestly Westbrook should be a two guard? He should not be a point guard because you don't want the ball in his hands all the time. You want him to be able to move without it. But who's going to tell him he's not going to be a, a, a point guard? If you put a guy like Mike Conley on this team and really a real point guard and allow Westbrook to move around without the ball, that would make them so much better. But that's not going to happen. So why would he change his attitude? Yeah, I, I understand he's not going to change his attitude, but. Again, with this over-criticism of other people, if LeBron James... I remember LeBron James walked off the court one year without shaking hands, and he got killed. Sure. No one said, oh, he's trying to... He's going to be the next Kobe. He's got that killer instinct. They said, oh, LeBron's so unprofessional, so selfish. Oh, look at him. Westbrook does it, and he's cheered for it. I don't get it. Well, yeah, I don't think he should be cheered for it, but I think, I think LeBron is held to a higher echelon. He's held to a higher standard because he is, you know, arguably still the greatest player on the planet. So he should be. You know, again, this was a couple years ago. But, uh, yeah, I just think different players, different personalities, uh, different endorsement deals kind of bring with them uh, different circumstances that people expect certain things from you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like Westbrook, but the thing is, again, if you're going to laugh at somebody, at least, at least a handshake. Sure. No, I agree. One handshake. I agree with that. If you're going dis- to disrespect the guy at, at one point, give him some respect when he wins. That's yeah, all I'm saying. It's fair enough. It's not going to happen, but it's fair enough. Um, <laughs> you're right. And from now until, uh, now until, you know, the opening of free agency and, of course, the NBA draft, we're going to hear a ton, a ton in terms of, uh, potential trades the rumor mill and and if you know me and you know mo mo loves him some mock drafts i do not but i do love the rumor mill i love the hot stove as it's called in baseball and it looks like the hot stove in the nba already starting to heat up now that the nba is starting you know the season is starting to wind down so i've got a couple potential uh, trade rumors that i've heard through the grapevine uh one that i heard uh from a friend who actually knows the inside and the out of the uh, sixers uh organization so i'm gonna throw them to mo and i'm gonna see what if we feel that they are actually legitimately possible or if somebody's just blowing smoke so the first one the first one i heard uh today actually a couple hours ago it has the philadelphia 76ers sending nerland's noel to the chicago bulls for derrick rose taj gibson mike dunleavy and the 14th overall pick now when i heard this my eyes lit up. I thought it was a great trade. The guy who told me, huge Sixers fan, hates it. Mo, what do you think? I I actually, when you first told me, I, well, when I, I'm just hearing it for the first time, but at first I was kind of like, huh? But then I thought, I'm thinking about it as I'm talking to you, and it's actually a pretty decent deal. Yeah. Because the Bulls are probably going to, they're probably going to miss out on Joachim Noah. He's probably going to go elsewhere. I read reports saying that he was telling teammates that he's already done. So you replace him with Nerlens Noel, who can also play defense in the middle. That that replaces that that piece of the lineup, and then you, you dump a bunch of contracts to the 76ers, and they could, those players could probably be decent players on the, on the Sixers roster. So if you're a Sixers fan, you're not. You're probably not happy about getting rid of Nerlens Noel, but if you're gonna draft Ben Simmons and then you have, you hope that Joel Embiid actually plays one year. 
then you don't need, you know, somebody's got to go. Some of the, one of those non-shooting bigs has to go. Sure. Dunleavy and Gibson, they're both not going to be on expiring deals next year. More than likely, they wouldn't be brought back to whoever team that they get traded to or if they stay with the Bulls. I think Todd Gibson is, if not exactly uh that's adequate to Nerlens Noel he's a he's a little bit better on offense so I'd rather have Taj Gibson I don't think Noel's gonna actually get much better uh I mean he's got a lot of room to get better offensively but he hasn't shown it at all his defense is steady but you know so was Ben Wallace uh and again if you can get Derrick Rose I know he signed for three more years 20 something million dollars per but again, if this guy can turn it around and be even a quarter of the player he was with that explosiveness that now reminds us of Russell Westbrook, um, who knows? Maybe maybe he could be the point guard Philly was looking for. Uh, maybe he's a guy that plays well and you can trade come next season and get another draft pick. But again, you're getting all these all these properties and you're also getting the 14th overall pick it's a win-win you're philly you're not going anywhere next year or the year after you're you know you're three four years away from contending at least to maybe even make a playoff spot so at least you give yourself some credibility you don't have a point guard you're gonna draft uh you know most favorite guy in the world the australian (laughs) who's gonna not be a point guard in the nba it's gonna be a small forward it's already been said it's already been said so you do still need a point guard you get some nice bench pieces and you get another pick what's the problem there isn't any i think i'll say one thing though i don't see the bulls trading Derek rose only because he's believe it or not these front offices they understand what these players need to the community i know a lot of people don't wait to send but they say it's all about what's going on on the court but Derek rose is very involved in the community in chicago where he's from by the way sure and it would it would it would take a lot for them to trade Derrick Rose. I believe that it would take probably a little bit more from the 76ers for them to say, okay, we're going to unleash Derrick Rose. Well, if you're looking to do a rebuild, you you got to you got to rebuild and 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 this trade would definitely be one way to to lessen the pockets and and, and open a whole lot of money to go out and sign some people, you know, this year, next year, next year's free agency class we know is going to be big. Uh this year again, there's going to be guys like Al Horford, there there's there's a couple of guys out there that could help right away. Uh another trade rumor ha- is also involving the Chicago Bulls. Has them sending Jimmy Butler, the disgruntled Jimmy Butler who does not get along with their Derrick Rose, as we've heard in the media, uh, to Boston. Now, he would be great with Boston, and all they would have to give is Avery Bradley, Jonas Jarebko, Terry Rozier, and the third and 16th overall picks. So, I, I don't think it seems like a lot as far as players, and we know that Boston has a million picks between this year and next year and the year after, but does it make sense to give up a third to 16 and and three three potential players for a Jimmy Butler? I think it does. But Mo, what do you feel? Yeah, absolutely. You go out and get Jimmy Butler because then he automatically becomes your best player. You don't sure. need you don't need another point guard. You got Marcus Smart there, Isaiah Thomas is there, so Preferably, you're probably going to wind up with Chris Dunn at number three. And, he's a, again, he's a point guard. He's a duplicate position, which you don't need. So trade it away, give it to the Bulls. And, and maybe, I mean... Hey, maybe try to sneak Derrick Rose in there too. If you can throw in, make it a make it a blockbuster trade and try to get Derrick Rose in there too. I know he's a point guard, but maybe he could play off the off the ball and play the two guard position. You never know, like a Russell Westbrook, but a little less explosive. But th- that's so, why these yeah, trades like, kind of like work. The but these trades kind of work now because you've you've got you've got the. 
You've got the third pick. You could take your boy from Providence and put him at the point guard because you just got rid of Derrick yeah. Rose. And you've, you've got the 16th pick. So, again, this is the way teams need to rebuild. Again, this is all hearsay. But, again, if Chicago is, is really adamant about blowing up this team and starting over, th- this is a nice way to do it because you're, you're getting rid of these huge contracts and you're getting uh, prospect big-time prospects right in there uh moving on and now try to keep up with this track this potential trade because there's a bunch of names and a bunch trick of uh, potential picks so uh the denver nuggets send will barton wilson chandler yosef nurkic the seventh and 15th picks this year plus memphis's top 15 2017 first rounder to indiana for paul george let that marinate uh, if if I'm the Pacers, I don't do it because really? you're you're getting rid of your undisputed best player for a bunch of role players and some picks. Like Paul George is your number one player, so I know they say it's hard to get equal value when you trade away a star. Yeah, but Wilson Chandler can't stay healthy. Will Barton came on last year, but he was off and on hot and cold. Yeah, I value the pick. Nurkic, eh, I'm not, I'm not too sold on him. I had him in my fantasy league, by the way. He disappointed. The other guy, I believe it was, I, I can't remember his name. Jokic. Jokic is the guy you want. Yeah, he's not, not, Nurkic. He's not going he's anywhere. He's last year. Jokic yeah. is, I'm serious, Jokic is the guy you want. If, you, if you're trying to get a trade for a big, he's the better overall player. He can pass, he can shoot a little bit. A little jumper, and he can he can defend. So yeah, he finished third. Places, I say no. He finished third in the uh, rookie of the year voting, but I don't think I don't think Denver is going to trade him. Would you then, if you're if you're Denver, would you trade Paul George to the Lakers for two? That I would think of. I, you know what? No, because I I would assume that the 76 are going to get Ben Simmons, and you know how I feel about Ben Simmons. Yeah, we do. And which means that. Indiana will wind up with Brandon Ingram, and I don't think I, I'm just not sold on Brandon Ingram. But Brandon Ingram, I know you are. I, yeah, not. he could be Paul George part two. I mean, remember when Paul George came in the league? He was tall and skinny and needed to work on his game. I mean, the guy came out of Fresno State, and nobody knew Paul George from George Paul. So I mean, it didn't really. He he became a player. So. I think that would be a better trade in my estimation than all those pieces from Denver. But, you know, again, if you're not willing to trade Paul George for two, what are you willing to cha- trade him for? It seems like it sounds like nothing then. No, I, I would want to keep Paul George because he's great on both ends of the court. He is, he is, I hate to say it, I like Jimmy Butler, but Paul George is, is above Jimmy Butler in my book. Sure, yeah. Definitely. Only because he, besides that, that huge injury that he had, but he busted up his leg. That was a freak he, he's injury. He's been healthy. Yeah. Butler hasn't been all that healthy the last couple of years. He's been run down by your boy, Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, my boy. So yeah, I, yeah I, I value Paul George a lot more than most people, and I'm just not giving him up unless I'm pretty sure the value I'm getting back is, is at least going to be a superstar player or has a high potential to be a superstar player. And to me, that's Ben Simmons. And if, like I say, if, if the 76ers were, were hell-bent on getting someone else other than Ben Simmons, then yes, I'd do it. I'd trade for the two and get Ben Simmons. All right. Okay. Uh, final, final one I got for you off the old trade meter. Uh, this one comes out of Los Angeles and the good people at the uh, LA Times. Utah 
Utah would send Derek Favors, remember him? I believe he was picked in the top three many moons ago to uh, by Brooklyn, your team. Uh, they would send Derek Favors and Gordon Hayward, White Lightning, to the Lakers for D'Angelo Russell and the second overall pick. Uh, I like that trade for both teams. Really? I, that trade is, I, li- I like that trade because White, as you call them, White Lightning, he's <laughs> a pretty good player. I he mean, is, he is. The, only, the only thing I would worry, though, is he's kind of a duplicate of, of Clarkson, a he, better version of Clarkson. He's bigger, obviously. though, too. He's like 6'8". Clarkson's like 6'4". Right, but he, they're, they're both basically small forward shooting guard types. Yeah, but, but, but if, you trade, if you trade D'Angelo, you've got to put Clarkson at the one. I don't know if I want Clarkson at the one, though. <laughs> Clarkson at well, the one, that's... Yeah, yeah no, I, I understand that, but let's be honest. I don't think Clarkson is any worse at the one than D'Angelo, do you? I think I think D'Angelo has a higher ceiling at the one well, than Clarkson. Yeah, as he should, but at this point, uh, on paper, Clarkson played better last year. He, he did, but he's more... To, I look at Clarkson as more of a shooter. And that's what Gordon Hayward does. Gordon Hayward's not going to give you much on the defensive end. Yeah, he's going to give you some rebounds. He's going to give you some long distance shooting. He's going to give you some consistent shooting. But I, again, I take it and then just move some parts around, make some room. But I like it for both teams. It's weird. I, I I'm not I'm not as excited about it. I like Hayward, but I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't think you wouldn't have drafted Hayward as a number two pick when he got drafted a while ago. And Derek Favors hasn't lived up to his billing as a as a top three lottery pick. So I personally don't like it because I think uh, I think anybody that who you could get this year too is has more potential than these two guys have already had in their you know five six and years in in the NBA. So I wouldn't do it. But it's the Lakers, so I guess you could say it's already been done. But because if you think about it, think about this, right? If if let's say Ben Simmons goes to seventy sixers, so then Lakers are would probably get Brendan Ingram, right? Yeah. Which is a shooter type, and you would hope that yeah you know, he played good defense in college, yeah. but he's still playing, so he would have to put on some weight and hope that his defense can transfer. So basically, you would be getting the same thing, but you would get you'd be getting a proven player. Now, again, if I'm getting Derek Favors, I would probably dangle Julius Randle out there for a trade, yeah. and try to, and try to get someone in the backcourt, you know, or try to or try to trade him and and maybe move up or maneuver some way to get Chris Dunn in L.A. Because Chris Dunn in L.A., if you're going to let go of D'Angelo Russell, Chris Dunn in L.A. would be jackpot. Well, or or I would ask Utah to to throw in Trey Burke who seems to be, you know, a forgotten man, or Dante Exum, who didn't play much of last year. At least try to get a, some, oh yeah, some kind of a point guard to, if you decide that Clarkson is not the guy, you have to get somebody in return. And if that means, okay, don't give us favors, then that's fine. I'm not as sold on favors as some people are. Uh, in NBA circles, but again, uh, it's fun to speculate. There's going to be a lot of these potential what ifs, maybe's uh, in the coming months. So we just wanted to hit you off with a little bit of that, uh, and we're going to move to uh, Mo's, uh, I guess Mo's forte, NFL, the New York Jets, and the soap opera that is Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he he's on my list of guys we're talking about too much. And he, you know, remember when we talked about Carmelo, you know. Constantly, well, we're we're here with Ryan Fitzpatrick because the man just refuses to figure out what he is worth, and uh, it, and this week there's already been 
three different reports on what exactly he wants. So, Mo, Mo, where do we stand as of right now in, in the saga that is Ryan Fitzpatrick? Well, a couple of days ago, I would say maybe a week ago, it came out that the Jets were offering Ryan Fitzpatrick $12 million, $12 million for the first year, and then I think, I believe another $12 million over the next two years for a three-year deal. Then it comes out recently that the Jets would offer, well, actually Fitzpatrick will accept a $12 million one-year deal. Now, Managed Meta of New York Daily News said that the Jets are not on board with that because basically they want to give him $8 million a year, and obviously $12 million a year upgrades at 50%. So that's not, that's outside of the Jets' pocket. So they're not on board with that. They want to spread it out, give him less money over the course of time because the Jets only have $3 million in cap right now. Yeah. So it wouldn't make sense for them to pay him $12 million this year, even if it's just one year. So Fitzpatrick is still kind of antsy about this. Now reports are emerging that he would take less money to, to be a backup with another, with another team. That's ridiculous. Which I think is a bluff by Jimmy Sexton, his agent. I don't, I don't see Fitzpatrick taking less money to play a backup. When he can stay home with his, I don't know, six, seven kids, I believe he has, five, six kids. And he's a smart guy. Guy went, guy went to Harvard. I'm sure he could make money outside of football and, and be fine with his life versus sitting holding a clipboard on the sideline you know, at Denver Broncos games. Because the Denver Broncos, I see, are the only team where Fitzpatrick can probably come in and battle for a starting position. They got Mark Sanchez there, but he had a thumb surgery. And Denver's actually giving Paxton Lynch first-team reps. So Denver is the only spot where I can see he can battle late for a starting position. I don't see him taking a backup spot somewhere else. He's going to have to budge or just not play because the Jets obviously don't see him as as a $12 million quarterback. They see him as an $8 million quarterback. And if you look at the rankings for salaries, he ranks, I think, he would rank, I believe, 23rd in average salaries among all among starting quarterbacks or backup quarterbacks in the league, right behind Nick Foles, who is skipping OTAs right now, mm-hmm. who's not playing, by the way, because they got Jared Goff there. Yeah. But uh, Fitzpatrick obviously feels that his career year, he deserves more. And the Jets are saying, no, you're still a stock back. You're still a stopgap quarterback we're not paying you that much money i believe by july when when training camp kicks off you'll see fitzpatrick throwing passes in practice right now he's just waiting it out he's enjoying his summer vacation and he'll be back and he'll he'll budge and i i, I feel like it'll be like a maybe a nine million dollar deal with the jets don't budge that much but they say okay we'll give you nine million and he says okay yeah, i mean i i get i get that he wants security just like sam bradford wanted security and, you know, he, I'm sure he's been advised that if he signs a three-year deal, more than likely he's going to get cut in year two when they're ready to hand over the team to a Hackenberg um, or, or year three, or however long this takes. If it's, Maybe it's not even Hackenberg. Maybe it's Petty. Maybe it's somebody else. But this guy just needs a little bit of a reality check. I mean, yes, he had an amazing year, almost 4,000 yards. I mean, he 31 touchdowns, only 15 picks. But th- this is his sixth team. He's he's 33 years old. Where where is he going? He's there's and to say something like you'd rather be a backup or walk away from the game than take seven, eight, nine million dollars is is crazy. I mean, dude, you were nothing better than a backup. Yeah, you had a nice year back in 2012 with Buffalo where you threw 24 touchdowns, still had 16 interceptions, but that's all he's ever been. And he had a career year. So why not take a little bit of a hometown discount? You obviously have some kind of 
working relationship with Brandon Marshall, who had a career year, and you've got uh, a really good, uh, you know, pretty good offensive line. Uh, you got Matt Forte. Your defense is mostly coming back. Eric Decker's there. And the thing that I don't like is that you're starting to cause a little bit of a rift. Now you've got Marshall and Decker skipping OTAs, so you're causing a little bit of drama inside the inside a team that can't does does not need this because again still playing in the same division with uh, the New England Patriots and if something happens that Brady does finally get suspended for those four games this division could be up for the taking so instead of you know deciding okay enough is enough I'll take whatever amount of millions of dollars because I'm still Ryan Fitzpatrick he'd rather sit out and cause all this you know all this trouble so I just don't get it you think how much money do you really need I, I don't know but you know that's not for me to say it's for him to decide but you know get in there stop wasting time and and again i read today that if this goes on much longer the jets are just gonna walk away and what does that mean for the jets geno smith and that that is not good i mean i can see the jets finishing in third fourth hey hey i mean look at it this way no one thought ryan fitzpatrick would have the year that he had last year what if geno smith comes in his third, he'll. This will be his third season starting. I know he did. He's, he's got four seasons in, but he didn't start last year except for he didn't play one year except for one game against the Raiders, and he did pretty well, by the way. But what, let's say he has a good season, and and just like Ryan Fitzpatrick was unforeseen, Geno Smith has an unforeseen good season. It could happen because they got the weapons. They got Decker and Marshall. I mean, if if you have any ounce of talent, you should be able to throw the big two big wide receivers on the perimeter. I know Devin Smith is battling injury, their slot receiver, and he he could probably miss week one. But you also got Matt Forte back there in the backfield who can catch really well in the backfield. Jason Morrow, people didn't give him enough opportunity. He had a bad season with Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan was really hard on him, but I think he has a bounce back year after he had a shoulder surgery. So he has the weapons around him. I say Geno Smith, if you're going to move on, because Geno Smith's salary is nothing compared to what Ryan Fitzpatrick wants. Just move on, especially if you know Fitzpatrick is not your quarterback of the future. He's going to be 34 in November. You know, you're only going to get maybe one year out of him. Just move on with Geno Smith, because if Geno Smith has a good year, then you can keep him dangling for another year until Christian Hackenberg or Bryce Petty are ready for the future. Yeah, I mean, Geno Smith could be good, and aliens could come down and beam us up at any time. So anything is possible. Anything. But. You know, Geno Smith hate is so real. Oh, it's so strong. You have no idea. No idea. I, look, look, I understand Ryan Ryan Fitzpatrick. Rex Ryan only let Geno Smith throw the ball like eight times a game in that last season where he started. But I, I don't look too much into OTAs and training camp, but they said Geno Smith looked pretty good in training camp. He didn't throw that many picks, and Brandon Marshall is talking him up. Calvin Pryor has been quoted saying that he's confident in Geno Smith. I say you just move on with the younger quarterback. You're going to play these, these stupid games with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he's going to play these games back, this waiting game. Then move on and, and know that you got your quarterback of the future in Bryce Petty or Hackenberg because it's not Geno or, or uh, Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. So you just move on with the younger guy who, who's going to cost you less money. Very true. Very true. Well, that is it for Open Mic. We'll be back with Building Momentum. We're going to talk a couple hirings in the NBA. We're going to talk Marlon Bird and another one bites the dust, PED-wise. And we're going to talk the Zika virus. We'll be right back. It's now time for Building Momentum. Well, the black hole in Houston has a coach. And um, it's Mike D'Antoni. So... It's a really 
odd kind of pairing when you've got a guy who doesn't pass and an offense that runs in seven seconds or less. So I guess Harden should just take the ball from one end to the other, correct? Yeah, probably. He just inbound it to himself, bounce it off somebody's back, catch it, and just run down the court with it. Because at this point, I just don't understand the hire because this is a team that lacked discipline, right, last season? Yeah, totally. Now you bring in, now you bring in Dan Tony, who's going to quicken the pace, but he's not going to instill discipline on the court. And what I find funny is when Harden was asked about this hire by his teammate Jason Terry, Jason Terry on his own show, by the way, compared James Harden to Steve Nash, which I found what? very laughable. Yeah. Yes, he compared him to, to Steve Nash. He said, well, with D'Antoni coming in, it's a perfect fit for Harden because he could be like the Steve Nash that was on Phoenix with D'Antoni wow. when he ran that team. And I paused for a minute and I said, Jason Terry, you need a new job. Yeah. Because, yeah, that, that comparison is just not working. Steve Nash was a guy, he was a pass-first point guard. He was never the highest-scoring person on his team he had a good pick and roll partner with Amari Stoudemire there he had an athletic team because he also had Sean Marion was also there Joe Johnson in his younger days yeah. he was about 23 years old was on that team but he was also a good shooter Houston doesn't have that like you're getting rid of Dwight Howard Dwight Howard is older anyway and then who's gonna be who's gonna be your outside shooter Harden usually he fills the stat sheet yes but he's not gonna be nickel and diamond the, the ball to no. the outside shooter or a pick and roll partner that's just not his mo he's a two guard who handles the ball a lot and steve nash was a one who's a great distributor and i do not see the comparison i don't even like the hire for houston i think it crashes and burns in another two years i think it'll work out as far as points score but when it comes down to the other other end of the court it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, Mike D'Antoni's teams do not play defense, and Houston did not play defense last year, so that's not going to improve. And their offense offense was an issue only when Harden refuses to pass the ball, which is always. And now you're gonna you're gonna take Dwight Howard out of the equation. I I just don't I don't understand it at all. You've got Patrick Beverly as your point guard. Uh, he's not even on the same plane as as a Steve Nash. Steve Nash was in his prime. Amari Stoudemire was one of the top five players in the NBA. Sean Marion was in his prime. You had great players uh, complementing what was the probably one of the top five pick and roll offenses of all time. And seven seconds or less only works when you have guys that push the ball make it work, spread it out. You you don't have any of those things at all. So unless Mike D'Antoni is going to completely change his coaching style and go one-on-one isolation with uh, with James Harden, I, I don't I don't see how this is going to go. Unless they're going to go out and they're going to sign a bunch of people, I don't understand that because they don't have a ton of money le- left either. It's a, it's a strange hiring. Is it a better hiring than James Faisdale, who is now the coach of Memphis? Um it's hard to say because nobody really knows of this guy because he was an assistant coach of the Heat. But according to Heat players and Heat personnel, this guy, he's a student of the game. The players really like him. They think he's super smart, and people in NBA circles are happy that he's finally getting an opportunity. So, uh, you know, Memphis is a team that could, I don't know, could turn it around quick because two years ago they were really good, and last year it seemed like everybody and their mother got hurt. But again, uh, you put a guy with no track record on a team that is is you know a middle of the road team in the West. That kind of that could be a scary proposition as well. Yeah, the Grizzlies are going to be Denver next season. I, I, it only goes down from here. Zach Randolph is getting older. Yeah. I mean, he's what thirty five. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to look good. Conley's been hurt the last couple years. He's been battling injuries. I know you like Conley a lot, yeah. but 
The team needs scoring, and they still don't have it. So unless they make a move in the offseason or in the draft that, that makes my eyes light up, maybe they wind up with, uh, I don't know, your boy Buddy Hill, we trade up or something. Mm. They, they, they're still they're going to have the same problem, which, yeah. they, which they've had over the last couple of seasons, that they can't score. Even when they had those close series with the Warriors and the Warriors used to beat them in six or seven games, they would try to, they would try to hang on the Warriors and be physical, but at the end of the day, it's all about the scoreboard. If you don't have a guy who can take the ball and create his own shot or, or catch and shoot, you're not going to win in the Western Conference. Yeah, you're not going to win in the Eastern Conference. You're not going to win in the NCAA. You might have trouble in high school, so it's... Um... <laughs> You gotta, you gotta have legit scores, so it's interesting. But moving out of the NBA, moving on to baseball, and like we said, there's been another name that has come up on the PED list, and this time it's Cleveland Indians outfielder Marlon Bird. He's been slapped with a 162 game suspension, testing positive for a performance enhancing substance. Um, I'm not even gonna try to pronounce it because it's a really long. Long name, uh, but according to reports, he basically knew what he was doing. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, some sub substance that you can buy over the internet, and it did not have the warning label on it. It says, from what I heard, it's in a diamond shape, and it says that this is this has been tested. It's safe. Did not have that, so Marlon Bird knew that what he was taking was potentially going to result in a positive test. But I guess when you're 38 years old, playing on a one million dollar contract. You figure, what the heck, right? Yeah, I was going to say, well, I guess his career is pretty much over now, right? Oh, because oh, yeah. he probably said, hey, if I take it and I get away with it, I'm probably going to retire and I'm going to have a good season. Or if I get busted and I can just retire and, you know, crawl into a cave and go with my life. But uh, what I found interesting is this is the second time he's been busted. Yeah. Because I believe he was busted after the Red Sox released him in 2012. Mm-hmm. And and now he's saying, oh, it was a tainted supplement on the second test for this growth hormone. And he, he just doesn't, he seems kind of nonchalant about it. Again, he is 38, so I'm guessing it's kind of like, ah, you know, damn if I do, damn if I don't. But what I find funny is MLB players are kind of petty, or for, I should I say, former MLB players are kind of petty because people are weighing in. I mean, Dan Heron was saying, well, can I have my home runs back that he had off <laughs> last year? And Jeremy Guthrie was talking about Bird as a joke. Yeah. Justin Verlander came in with a with an angry face emoji. And I'm just <laughs> laughing to myself because I'm like, in the NFL, when players get busted, you don't hear quarterbacks saying, well, you need to take these sacks off my record because this guy was juicing and this guy was doing that. It's kind of just like, eh, whatever, he got busted. They'll deal with him. But these baseball players, they have a very long-term memory because they're like, this dude hit two home runs off me. I need that off my record. He's tainting my record. Take it back. He's cheating. Yeah, it's, it's and, very and personal. Is this the culture or, or what? I What's guess. Well, in the NFL, you get suspended for steroids. You get a four-game ban. So it, it doesn't seem quite as lengthy. Uh, obviously, his career is over. But again, this is a guy that made... Went from and you, you noted it. He, in 2012, he was suspended. He made 18 million dollars since 2012, and this is after last year where he was only six at bats away from getting an eight million dollar roster bonus. Uh, he was with the Giants, and the Giants just said, "Well, we're just not gonna we're not gonna bat you anymore because we're not gonna give you those six at bats uh, to get that eight million dollars." But he made over 38 million dollars in his career, 15 year career, 10. 
10 different teams. So this is not a guy who is, you know, there for, you know, the World Series rings or there because, you know, it was a passion. Maybe it was at one time, but after a while, it just becomes about a paycheck and, and it becomes, with, you know, what the heck? I'm not going to the Hall of Fame. If I can make a whole lot more money uh, to put on top of my $38 million, uh, uh, you know, mega mega bank account and so be it and this he came up with the phillies 15 years ago he was a big time prospect but he washed out he washed in he came back he, he disappeared obviously you know when the guy had a resurgence in 2012 you have to look at the numbers and say well maybe he is on something so it's like you know d gordon with miami well he led the national league last year in hitting stole over 50 bases and then it turns out yeah, well, he's on steroids. So, you know, let's look at the numbers and let's also look at the fact that, hey, maybe these guys are doing something because they go from, you know, no nowhere being in the minors to being a perennial all-star. So, you know, it's more than a little telling. Yeah, it's more than a little telling. But like I said, the guy's career is over. So, I mean, no need to pile on on social media. He's probably just going to disappear after this anyway. With his $38 so, yeah, million? Uh, dollars? Yeah, he can disappear. Some island will take him. <laughs> but I mean... Because, I, mean, I mean, the third, if he gets busted again, if he, let's say he does continue to stay, if he gets busted again, it's a lifetime ban anyway. Correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then he'd be closer right. to 40. So unless, I mean, he can go to Japan and play. I mean, I'm sure there's no substance abuse policy over there for, you know, missing something in America. But, you know, who knows? He, he, I'm sure he could and he'll get paid, you know, handsomely. I mean, he, you said it before. He's made enough money anyway. So sure. there's no reason for him to, to hang on any longer. I mean, he tr- he tried his hand. He got caught. He's probably done. You'll probably hear about his retirement speech later on. Again, he didn't seem... I mean, he seemed remorseful in his response when he got busted, but it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, can't believe this happened. It was kind of like, well, yeah, I got caught. And, yeah. Yeah, this stuff, and it was, it was, you know, it could have been off... It was off the list, I believe, of, of substances, so I was taking a risk anyway. And what the heck? You know, I'll, I'll just go on with my life, so... Yeah, if, if I were him and I, and I I got caught, I'd be like, man, I can't believe I got caught again. Like, twice. Like, dummy of the year award. But, you know, whatever. We're going to move. I mean, the guy, he, he didn't even try to play it off. No. He knew. He knew. <laughs> you know. But, uh, but on from, from substance abuse to viruses, uh, apparently a lot of, a lot of athletes are, are second-guessing whether they should participate in Rio, the Olympics, is this year. I, I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm not into the Olympics as I used to be as a kid anyway, but a lot of players are saying, hey, for health purposes or if I need to start, if I'm thinking about starting a family, the Zika virus is something I want to avoid, and therefore I am not going to Rio to participate. Your boy uh, Francisco Rodriguez had a little anecdote about about Zika virus, and he basically said it's it's something a lot worse than the cold. Based on the symptoms that he described, it sounds like the advanced flu, something I don't want to deal with myself, even if I wasn't going to start a family. Mm-hmm. So I don't blame these players. Uh, Paul Gasol came out recently saying that he may pull out of it. Hope Solo didn't it didn't waver her. She you know she feels like she's going to go out there and represent the USA anyway. Good for her. But um, what what is your what are your thoughts on people just I guess second guessing and will you watch, will you even watch the Olympics? Yeah, I I like the Olympics. I mean, it comes every four years or every two, considering if you if you figure well the the winter and the summer. But I, I like the Olympics. I'm not gonna watch like you know rowing and stuff. But you know I dig I dig the swimming. I dig the, obviously the basketball, the gymnastics. I mean, it's just fun to represent your country. Uh, as far as that's concerned, you know, there's reports also in Brazil right now that the water where they're gonna be doing the rowing and, and other uh, other games is so contaminated that athletes actually have to start taking antibiotics 
two months before they the Olympics even start. Just and this is again, they're not in the water. They're on a boat which is on the water. But if the water were to splash up and hit your skin, it might melt off. So I mean, like, how awful is that for for the athletes? And and yes, I mean, I get that. Uh, you, it, you don't necessarily want to put yourself in harm's way, but this is something that these at these Olympic athletes compete for and train for their entire lives. Every four years, they get an opportunity, and the window for most most athletes is very small. I mean, we're talking 10, 12 years. So again, they're gonna go regardless. Uh, you know, I, obviously, I'm home, so I'm gonna watch it. But I wouldn't go to Brazil if I if I was just a spectator. No way. Uh, and I think that this is this is a huge thing that. Obviously, the IOC has been implicated in many things over the years and, and not necessarily think that with like FIFA, how does Qatar get a World Cup? It's Qatar and it's the summer and it's 140 degrees. Well, how does Brazil get an Olympic Games when it's contaminated? Now you got Zika virus. The water is brown. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. Something isn't adding up. So this needs to be kind of uh, looked at and dealt with very much more seriously before you know before the next olympics is, is given and i know the, the following one is in russia but after that you know 2024 maybe it's in la and you know obviously la it's it's not a it's not a second or third world country so we don't have to worry but you know this is something that is very very serious because as francisco rodriguez said it was a two-month flu i've had the flu it's awful i've had it for like two three weeks two months two months i forget it you know take me out i'm done i don't no way i couldn't even imagine so i understand where the athletes are coming from but i think at the end of the day they're, they're still gonna go they're gonna represent their country i just hope you know off can come up with some amazing uh, bug spray that works because uh you know god forbid this could be something you know really really dangerous Two, two, two quick things. Why why aren't you advocating the Olympics to Orlando? I was waiting for that plug to come up. You might as well like you've been you've been advocating one. everything Good else one. to Orlando. Yeah, no. That'd be great. Actually, it could be it could be all of Florida because you got obviously Miami's like you know four hours away. Uh, Miami's the place to be. Orlando, we got big stadiums, a lot of ground. But you know, I'm gonna save it for uh, I'm gonna save that for uh, more of a, a, an Olympic uh, Mike and Mo episode, probably like episode twenty once we get in the actual Olympics. I'll uh, I'll have I'll have I'll have my IOC template of why the Olympics need to come to Orlando. But that's that. yeah, of, mm. co- of course you will. Sure. I know you will. Mm-hmm. The, the second thing. Uh, the Mike, the Mike and Mike show that happens on ESPN on, in the morning actually showed a picture of the water over there. Yeah, and it was black as tar that's when horrible. I saw it. And yeah. I was just like, "That's what they're going to be competing in. That's the type of environment you're going to put athletes in who have been trained, like you said, been training all their lives to compete in some filthy, dirty water. If anyone, I know you're you're in Orlando, you've been you were in LA, you're from the Bronx, but if you're familiar with Coney Island water and how people describe that." <laughs> With like dirty diapers and yeah. crap in that water, that that water in Rio made Coney Island waters look like like the clear waters in in exotic lands. Zephyr Hills, yes. Yeah. Again, it was black as tar and it was thick and it was just disgusting. No, that's, I don't that's, see that's awful. I mean, why you want to compete in that type of water? Totally. I mean, companies and and big businesses and, and have just been pumping sewage into these lakes for years and years and years and there's been no no control no environmental people or or sanctions against anybody in brazil so now you give them the olympics and you and you just are expected to deal with it and again it's the same situation as most olympics hotels are still going up uh the trump 
Trump Hotel doesn't even know if it'll be ready in time. And this happened in the Winter Olympics in, in uh, was it Russia a couple years ago in Sochi, where athletes were taking photos and there was no doors on on the bedrooms and there was no toilets and the water, running water didn't work. So it's just it's kind of a joke, and because you know you're there to celebrate the athletes and you're to celebrate great competition and we're talking about the venues how they're not ready and we're talking about you know the corruptions and the politicians that are just doing wrong by these athletes. I mean it's 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 pretty terrible. But again, again, this is the way the world seems to work. And um, as far as Orlando is concerned, you know that it was announced that it's a multiple-year deal for the Pro Bowl, right? You did hear that? Yeah. Okay. And you yeah, want, you want, that I'm not going to watch. Yeah, you won't watch, but you, you, but you should, and you should come down and hang out with me because the entire week before, they're going to do, like, uh, fan experience things, and we should do a live Mike and Mo show experience as well. But on top of that, actually, the Dolphins are going to play a preseason game in, in, I think it's, what was it, August. So, um... There you go, Mo. Shout out to O Town because it's the real deal, homie. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I decided to throw that to you, throw you a softball pitch because I know you wanted to put O Town <laughs> in every episode. So I give you that opportunity to, to spread your wings Thank and you. talk about the town that you love so much that you've been a part of for what six months. Six months straight, seven months straight, but off and on uh, for like seven years. You know, me in L.A. It was a love-hate battle, but, you know, I come home, I go there, I do my thing. But I'm here now permanently, so I can show you my driver's license. Well, okay, there you go. So maybe Frank Vogel will put you guys on the map and hey, track more, more I'll be, people. I'll be his assistant watch. coach. I'll get them I'll get them riled up in the uh, in the locker room pre-game. <laughs> Ridiculous. I am. Well, that is it for Building Momentum. We're going to be right back with the wrap-up. And uh, Mo's going to get serious on us real quick, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Wrap-Up. Uh, breaking news, Mo almost died. So for anyone that heard that loud kabang in the background about you know, 14 minutes ago, it's because a window snapped out of place and almost destroyed my co-host now the mike and mo show wouldn't be the same without mo it would just be the mike show which hey you know people would not probably not be so upset about but you know i would regardless the wrap-up today is gonna focus on a topic that uh it's been uh, it's been all over the news recently but michael wilbon recently wrote about it on the undefeated which is uh you know a brand new espn outlet and the question was posed uh, are sports nerds taking over sports with analytics? Now, I'm going to throw it to Mo because he has a little bit more in-depth insight with being a nerd uh, and other things. So, Mo, uh, tell us what you read. Tell us how you feel and, uh, you know, spread the good word. Okay. First of all, <laughs> number one, uh, the Mike Emotion doesn't provide workers' comp. So, if I, you know, <laughs> if I would have just blanked out on that one on the intermission, that would have been it. Right yeah. There. But, I would have been talking to myself like, thing is, Mo, Mo? Second thing is. I, I'm more of an athletic nerd. Yes, I'm, in, I'm into books and numbers, but I, I do have some, have some athleticism and can ask around. I was really good at my high school basketball team, indoor indoor team. Indoor team? What's the difference? The what? There's an, outdoor, there's an outdoor high school basketball team, too? I mean, you know, <laughs> there, there, there are some things where we would play other schools, and then they had some things called flames where you play indoors and only play within your school, but that's a whole different thing. What? But, oh, um, I've never heard yes. of Okay. <laughs> yes, very complicated. But, yeah, it is. Um, anyway, all you need to know is I was really good at it. But anyway, mm-hmm. Matthew Wilbon, as you said, ESPN co-host for Pardon Your Interruption, wrote a really good piece on The Undefeated about black people and analytics and why, why aren't blacks interested in numbers and analyzing sports and he also referenced how 
the head coaching search in the NFL and the NBA has dwindled because more front offices are leaning on numbers versus just the eye test and how I feel, how I look about it, you know, how I feel, how, how I see a player on the court. So basically he's saying that, and he spoke to our boy Amin Alhassad about this, and basically they're saying that blacks are excluding themselves by not embracing numbers and analytics in sports and just going by the eye test. And he says, and he's, Amin Alhassad is a former front office guy for the Suns when Steve Kerr was the general manager there. And basically he said that these front offices are filled with normal people like like me and Mike. Like me and Mike are here talking about sports. It's a bunch of people just like us in these front offices making decisions on player transactions or having an input. These aren't people who necessarily played the sport or necessarily coached or became an assistant head coach or came up through the ranks. They're just guys out not I don't want to say out in the street, but numbers guys who crunch numbers and figure out what's the best for a team as far as spots and things like of that nature. And Will Bond dug a little deeper. He spoke to his colleague, Jay Adande, who works with Los Angeles Times, about, you know, why, why aren't their colleagues into numbers? And a lot, of, a lot of these writers, they don't prefer to advance analytics to write their pieces. And I do. And I guess it's because growing up, I was good at math, and I was more of an analytical person where I would look at things, I would look at tape and look at film, but I also confirm it with numbers and a lot of people say well yeah they do use numbers but not the advanced stuff i know you've probably heard of pro football focus and pro football reference which i use a lot before i get on the show just to check myself to make sure i know what the hell i'm talking about but um again i don't think numbers and analytics are prevalent when it comes to african-american conversations because a lot of times we grew up playing sports so since we grew up playing the sport we're not sitting back too much analyzing because we go we're thinking, okay, we want to be like Kobe Bryant. So in order to be like Kobe Bryant, instead of instead of crunching the numbers and figure out what his stats are, we got to go out on the court. We got to emulate, which is action. Now, if you're more of a type that didn't play sports, then you may be more into numbers because maybe you had a favorite player. And then, of course, when you have a favorite player or if you're a baseball person, you go back and you look at the numbers. You know Babe Ruth's you know, batting average by heart. You know how many home runs he hit by heart. If you follow Kobe Bryant, you know how many points he scored per game in this playoff run or this season or, or in that game. You remember his 81-point game or whatever. But it's two different train train of thoughts. But what I will say is that when you're in the barbershop, and Wilbon referenced this in his piece, when you're in the barbershop, he said, why don't barbershop talk people reference numbers that much? And what I'll tell him is that a lot of times, we go off of memory. We go, oh, you remember that game where Iverson crossed Jordan? Or you remember that game where Stephen Curry hit that three? We go by memory and sight. We don't, we, we're not pulling out our phones and going, well, Curry in 2007, 2008 averaged 20 points a game. 2009, he averaged just, it just takes a lot out of the conversation. When you're talking spontaneously, you don't have a tablet. You don't have a laptop. You don't have a computer in front of you to reference things and confirm things. You go, you go by what you've seen on the TV and what you remember. So you're not pulling out these stats out of your pocket like, but this is my comment, this is my debate, this is my argument. Yes, when I write my articles, I'm in front of a computer, so I have access to all of these sites, all these analytical sites to back up my point. And I get this a lot on Twitter where I'll debate with a person, even Raiders fans, I'll debate with a person about maybe Derek Carr needs help in this area, and they'll go, well, I didn't see that when I watched the game on Sunday. And I go, well... Based on pro football focus or based on pro football reference, what I'm saying 
is is correct. And people will say, well, I don't follow the numbers. I just watch the games and I go by what I see. And that's a lot of, I guess, older people. And that's younger people who are not just, just not interested in the numbers. And why? Because sports, again, is an emotional thing. It's a thing you, you go for for excitement. Once you have to dig into the numbers, it feels like homework. And you don't want to feel like you're doing homework. You want to enjoy sports. When you go to a sporting event, it's fun. You're not pulling out your notepad and go, well, this guy, Steven Metz, he's got a 1.83 ERA. He's really good against left-handed batters. You're not doing that. You're enjoying the experience. It's more of an experience than a research homework. As a writer, me, myself, I have to do this homework because people will test me. People will comment and say, well, I don't, I don't agree with this stance. And then I have to back myself up or I look like an idiot. So that's the difference. And and he, if you really want to read the piece and go into detail, Wilbur's piece, again, it's on the undefeated, read it. And I'll talk about how blacks are basically excluded and we're going to be excluded from these jobs in the front offices as a head coach if we don't start embracing the numbers. So I urge you to go out there. If you're going to argue something, have a basis for your argument. Just don't say, well, I feel like Stephen Curry is better than LeBron just because. Just because I like Stephen Curry or just because... As someone would say, we won't mention any names, just because he's light-skinned or whatever. Have something to back up your argument. Have a basis. And for me, it's analytics. It doesn't have to be analytics for everyone. You don't have to dive into the statistics deep and go through win shares and per 100 possessions. But have a basis for your argument so that when someone challenges you, you can say, this is why I think the way I think. That was wonderful. Very, very eloquent. Very, uh, very to the point. I agree with just about all of it. And um, I would, I would love to, I'd love to tell the audience who that ESPN personality was. But just listen, <laughs> listen to everything that Mo just said. And there was a couple names in there that you know may or may not have been because this person likes to just focus on the one, the one overlaying, uh, you know, viewpoint and not the whole thing. But regardless. I think Michael Wilbon is 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 really you know he's he's spot on, but I don't, I just think it's I think it's broader than that. I don't I don't think white people or Spanish people or Asian people argue numbers when you're just talking. I, I don't think you know I don't. It's not something you do with your friends. It's not something you're like oh like yeah. you said. It's like oh yeah man Bryce Harper you know even though he's got 14 home runs he's only batting 242. It's like no no one talks like that. It's about it's passion. It's who you like. It's why you like them. It's you know it's even though I you know I, I hate the Red Sox and I. And I love the Yankees. I'm not going to argue and say the Yankees are having a better year, uh, you know, because let's look at the numbers. No, it, it doesn't work like that. But, yes, as as writers, as general manager people, you, you have to have this information because you have to back up your claims. I mean, when somebody comes out and, and says something erroneous, you're not just going to be like, nope, that's not true. No, you're going to tell them, no, that's not true because X, Y, and Z. I mean, that's just that's just the nature of the beast. It is the way it is. And you, you, have, to, you have to have these numbers. So I, I get that Michael Wilbon is saying he's trying to do it more of a, like a PSA is you know trying to get the African-American community more involved with uh, you know with these numbers and with the analytics of sports because that is the way the future is going that's the way the trend is is going upward I mean ESPN does an entire issue on their magazine the analytics issue I mean it's all about numbers and I we referenced it earlier Nate Silver's uh, let, me, I, let me we talked about it his website which is uh, 538.com it's all about numbers anything you want to know a numbers related in sports 
go there. I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm not a numbers guy. I'm an English. I'm a, I'm a history. I love that stuff. But again, you, when you when you do what we do, you have to have these numbers to back it up. And once you understand the numbers, it makes your conversation that much easier. And, and you, it gives you that much more power. Because when somebody says something that's not true, bam. I mean, I'm not going to come out with Mo and be like, hey, Mo, Orlando has to be the place of the NFL because it has the... 18th overall like yeah I told him that last week but it's more about the passion and why I'm here and why I feel it's good for everything not just that it's a this that or the other thing 17th 18th 40,000 people like that's not what it's about at the long run now I will tell you all those things to back up my to back up my you know my hypothesis or my my opinion or whatever it is but no one goes out and says it's only about the numbers if you do then yeah you're a geek I mean Brian Kenny on MLB channel it's funny. He he knows baseball, but he only argues the numbers. And when he has guys on like Buster Only and Tim Kirkagen and all the ex players, all the ex players don't like John Crook. They argue with him constantly because he's all like he will tell you flat out, no, you are wrong. Even an, an ex MLB player, a guy who might have been an All Star, he will say you are wrong because the numbers say otherwise. And then you've got the MLB or the the ex players saying you have no idea what you're talking about because you didn't play the game. And then that's when Brian. Kenny's goes quiet because it's true it's different an athlete an ex-athlete knows the game because he strapped up his his helmet he put on the batting gloves he laced up his sneakers and he played he played the game with passion he didn't sit behind a computer and talk about it so that but that's what makes this great that's what makes the conversation so important and that's what's great about not only like companies like ESPN or or you know major uh front offices of, 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 comp, of major league sports is that the fact you need both you need guys that have the eye test and you need guys that can back up everything that you're trying to sell so it's a combination of both so hopefully that's what this article and michael wilbon can kind of do is it can kind of you know get stop perpetuating the stereotype and get people more involved because again when you, knowledge is power and you know what why not why not be as knowledgeable as you possibly can especially if you're passionate about sports like we are Right, and it's it's knowing the room too, because as you said before, when I'm out with my friends, and and we argue about who's better, you know, who had a better series, I'm not pulling out. Well, LeBron over 100 possessions or LeBron's win shares, they don't understand win shares because that's another thing about these analytics. You have to know the formula. To this day, I'll admit, I don't, I still don't know the QBR formula. Yeah, I don't know how that works. So that's another thing, that's another barrier is that when you use these analytics, there's another step to it. You have to understand how it's worked, how it's calculated, and how it applies to the game. Yeah, like how is 114... When you're in a casual conversation, you just don't have enough time to do all of that. Yeah, like how is 114.7 perfect? Isn't 100% perfect in like in the world of mathematics? I don't I don't get it. It's like, it's baseball, it's war, it's walks against runs, or it's like, it's so complicated. It's, it's honestly, it's overly complicated. Like, there's certain things that make sense. Touchdown passes, interceptions, <laughs> field goal percentage, home runs. Those are straight to the point. Everybody can see those. But when you, when you convolute it with all these other things, that's kind of like you know the nerd uh, population trying to take over you know the athlete population, and I get it. You know it's not for everyone, and some people that couldn't play a game, even you know we're talking high school, college, amateur ranks, they didn't necessarily excel in 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 playing. They want to excel in another thing, and that's great. That's what sports is all about. It's all inclusive. You know, whereas many years ago it might have been exclusive for only certain people, but hey, that's what makes it great. So you know what? So be it. Hopefully everybody can kind of wrap their head around it. But at the end of the day, it's not 
not something you're going to force on people. You either get it or you don't because not every sports personality has to be, a, you know, a mathematician and not every mathematician has to be able to, you know, hit a, hit a, a three-point shot or, you know, throw a, throw a perfect spiral. You're right. So maybe hopefully this analytics thing opens the door. For, I know you said you're not really a numbers guy, but hopefully it opens the door for other people other than, you know, those that play the game because the, the first – the first thing that people will say is, oh, you have no idea because you, you didn't play the game. And like you said, there's there's room for both. I think there's room for people who have played the game, and there's room for people, for people who just crunch numbers and can see how certain things fit on the court or on the field or in the arena. I think, again, there's room for both. And hopefully, as time goes on, we see more hires where we have an equal balance. Yeah, absolutely. That is very true. And I think that this is this is one of our best debate topic conversations slash episodes we've ever had Mo so I just want to congratulate you on a job well done as always yeah same to you I mean I almost died but we, we held <laughs> it together and we had a great we had a great show from, from top to bottom we, I just hope we have a great game tonight game one of the NBA finals I definitely think we will like I said it's, it's been coming since October so uh, I, I will be severely let down uh, if anything but not the best that these two teams have to offer uh, and again uh there's going to be a lot of fun. Who knows? It, it might be Matthew Dellavedova, uh, you know, episode two. I highly doubt it. But uh, that's the beauty of the NBA Finals. Uh, anything is possible. Any, I, now I sound like uh, Kevin Garnett, uh, that, you know, when he won that title in, in Boston. So. Yeah, definitely. Anything possible, but he screamed it. Yeah, Yeah, he did. He did. So I'm sorry for that. But that is it for episode 16 of the Mike and Mo Show. This time next week, we should be, what, episode, uh, game like two or three of the finals? Because, yeah, it seems like they take six days off in between. But regardless, we'll have plenty to talk about. Baseball will be getting closer to the All-Star break. Uh, we're going we're gonna to highlight plenty of things. We might even talk a little fantasy baseball because that's always fun. And, of course, we're counting down the days to minicamp. So until next week, I am Mike Calandrillo. He's Maurice Moton. It's been, a, it's been a blast, and we can't wait to do it again next week. You all have a safe week, and we'll talk to you then.